Welcome to Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales and business leadership. In each episode, our goal is to bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished business leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they've conquered on their way to the top. Grab a coffee and enjoy the conversation with today's guest, Michael O'Hara. Michael, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Paul. Michael, I understand you're from Longford, and I'm curious to know what it was like growing up in Longford in the 70s. I come from a town called Granard in Longford. It's a lovely little town in the middle of a farming community there. And my dad was a farmer, and we also had a public house bar in the town. It's a big family of us, a traditional Irish family, 10 kids, five boys and five girls. And as you can imagine, we were all very close in age, but also very close friends right up to this day. And we enjoy each other's company. For me, growing up, I worked in the bar, not so much on the farm. My brother Pat is the farmer and uh, I started very young age packing shell behind the bar and then starting to serve customers and it was that rural community that that kind of a customer type mm. that would have been drinking in the bar and they were just they're just fantastic people the art great characters and also I, what i would have learned uh, working in the bar is how to treat people treat them with respect you had to look after your customer. Uh, there wasn't that many of them around or not enough of them. So you had to learn how to look after them. And I think that's that that was a really good lesson that I learned and it stands to me today as a manager, as a manager of people and working with people and customers and suppliers. But yeah, uh, pretty hey, idyllic childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So medium sized Irish family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because you mentioned I was going to Talk about that, about the idea of being in a pub. That is fantastic. You you can't get that in in any college, that learning how to deal with people, with customers, people of different types. It also, I would imagine, gave you a very strong work ethic. And also being part of that kind of rural Irish family. Everybody has to chip in. Everybody plays a role. Yeah, and you start young. No, it wasn't hard hard work. Pulling a, a case is maybe a little bit too heavy for you with uh, bottles of Coke or bottles of Guinness and you're packing the shelves and you start young and you're seeing people in action and the stories, the slagging, the just the interaction and you learn. And it, it, it was a, a different scene to the pub scene now. It's a very tough business today. We no longer have a, a pub. And uh, it, it was a community. It was a community uh, environment. Like people would come in to go to the pub to meet with others as part of their, as part of their uh, meet the neighbours and, and meet friends. That's where it was done. What was the impetus for you in leaving Longford? I did my leave insert in twenty or nineteen eighty, and I did quite well in accountancy. I was actually just turning 17. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it was my dad that suggested that maybe I'd look at doing something in accountancy. And uh, I was just so young, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. 
and I went to Athlone, what was Athlone Regional Technical College at the time. And I did business studies there. And uh, as I went through that course, I, I found I had a, a sort of a skill set in that area, in the financial side and accountancy. And uh, I went on then to qualify as an accountant. I worked in practice for a few years and I was working with a firm in Dublin called Farm Grant Sparks. They're now part of Grant Thornton. And I was sent out on a number of secondments as acting financial controller in different businesses for six to nine months. And one of them was an IT company based out in Dunleary. And I went in there, really enjoyed the experience. It's, it's, it's different than audit. You're really looking at past results and verifying them and giving a certain amount of advice back on the performance. Whereas when you're as when you're a financial controller, you're actually dealing with live situations. Mm. And I found that very interesting and exciting. And uh, I so I decided I wanted to leave the kind of accountancy firm audit type environment that I was working in and uh, get involved in industry. And that for that company I was working with, the IT company that I was acting financial controller, I got to know while I was there a number of the guys, the same age as me, and we, we were friends and I kept in contact with them after I left the role. And about a year later, their business was sold and they were wanting to set up their own business. And I helped them advise them and did their accounts and tax work for them. And I subsequently joined them. That was in 91 and I joined them on a full time basis in 1993. That company was Data Solutions. And uh, I suppose over the years, uh, the two founders that set up the business left the business and I ended up with my colleague Francis, Francis O'Hare, our CTO, owning the business. And uh, as I kind of say, cream always rises to the top. And that's what happened in Data Solutions. And, and we are, Data Solutions is IT distribution company, which means we sell B2B rather than to, to the consumer. And so it's very much based around selling to a small group of businesses, resellers at the time based around Ireland. And you're transacting with them and interacting with them on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So it's very important that you build a strong interpersonal relationship with them. And that's where my background coming from that pub environment would have stood to me and, mm. and stands to me. And we, we grew the business for 25 years. We focused on the Irish market and we were growing the business. 10, 15% every year, steady growth. We would have considered going into the UK over that period, but this, in my mind, we give a very personal service and I was, you know, of the opinion, how can we give that service to, in another market if we're not on the ground yeah. there? We didn't go in, uh, we stalled in making that decision until 2016 and we decided that's it we are going to go into the UK now it's the next opportunity for our business and we went in 2016 in March 2016 and in June 2016 uh, UK voted for Brexit and effectively since we went into the UK we've been dealing with Brexit 
To be honest, Brexit hasn't had a major impact on our business. We are mainly software distributor, uh, so we don't have that kind of custom. There's no, there's no duty on software worldwide. So we had no barriers or challenges selling software. Like over 80% of our, our revenues comes from software. And in the seven years since then, Paul, we have uh, more than doubled our business every year since we w w went into the UK. And we've gone from zero in 2016 to over 85 million euros in the UK uh, in the year ending to March last. And as a group, we are, we've achieved 126 million in revenues. For Would you describe yourself as conservative or a risk taker? I would say, for me, the cup is half full, always half full, and see opportunities rather than barriers. And I'd like to think that I observe the risks as much as I can and then make an informed decision. And, and the answer is, yes, we can more often than no, we can't. It's that kind, it's that kind of mindset. Interesting. Okay. I want to just go back a little bit. If I went to school with you, how would I remember you? What would I have observed in school, 12 years of age? I was always the smallest guy in the class, uh, literally the smallest guy. And I won't tell you the nicknames I was called. Uh, and, and I wasn't the most sporty as a result. And, but I grew late. I was about 16. I, I grew and I'm about six foot tall now. I was a late bloomer. Uh, so small to start with, uh, because of, again, the, my background in the pub, I had lots of chat. I was well able to talk uh, and I suppose a bit of a messer as well. I was always a bit of a messer. Interesting. I'm curious about this one. You said you, were, you had na nicknames as yeah. a kid based on your height. Uh, I'm sure they weren't nice to hear at the time. Do you, what sort of an effect did they have on you, on your character, on your personality? Uh, the nicknames weren't that bad, but uh, mm. it was just uh, probably referring to my size, but they weren't too mm. bad. Uh, they, I don't know if they had any real uh, effect on me, Paul. I couldn't say they had any major. They weren't of a nature that got you into fights and things like that then, is what you're saying? No, no, no okay. not at all. Yeah. I only asked because I was quite tubby as a kid right. and got called fatso and things like that quite a bit. And of course, back in those days, and I'm of similar vintage to yourself, I would have been the only overweight one in the class. And I, what I found was that they were very good at silencing pe me. Like, yeah. At the fear, the discomfort, or that, yeah, there was the, not discomfort, yeah, it was just, it wasn't nice hearing the name. People could use that as a, we as a weapon almost. Yeah. That if I said something, shut up fatso. Yeah, you tend to be quiet. That said, I also think they've probably made me a little bit stronger because now I don't fear names. You can yeah. Me anything. Yeah. I, I don't care. Well, you're not. So, you've you've that, certainly slimmed down as well, Paul. You're looking great. <laughs> Just, well, I'm, I'm borderline on that one. I tell you, I could lose a stone, but uh, I'm... I, this, this, I, this, I justify it with the yeah. kind of, ah, look, most people my age have a little <laughs> bit of weight on them. But that's not good. That's not good. It's not healthy. Let me put it that way. I don't care about aesthetics anymore. No. Uh, 
but yeah. I think from a health point of view, it's yeah. important. And well, look at what I would say on all that. When you're a teenager, you're full of all the self-doubts. And I suppose any put down is you think about it, maybe overthink. You come through that. And mm. I think over the years, no more than yourself, Paul, you have your self-confidence and those sort of things don't really bother you anymore. Yeah, certainly in yeah, my case. Sure. Yeah. You like to cycle, I know. And talk to me about Kilimanjaro. I read something about you yeah. and a project with Kilimanjaro. Yeah, I, I did that with my brother about 12 years ago uh, for the Cancer Society. And it was fantastic. It, as you can imagine, growing up, family of 10, I shared, it was called the boys' room, where all three or four of the boys would s- s- share together. And we like, obviously, we're both married and have families. And we hadn't if you like, shared a bedroom together for years. But we, while we were trekking up at Kilimanjaro, we shared a tent, a little small tent together. And it gets dark at six o'clock on the mountain and there's not much that you can do. So you go to your tent <laughs> and it was a great way to, to connect with, with my brother for the 10 days that we did it. And a fantastic experience, beautiful people singing, constantly singing and happy and smiling. And there was 19 of us did it. There were 60 uh, porters who brought up everything. We just had a rucksack with our, our wet gear or whatever in it. And they brought everything up and they were amazing. And then the views was spectacular. When you get up to a height, uh, I'm going to say 5,000 meters, you can see the curvature on the earth. Because Kilimanjaro is the only free, is the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. It's not in a mountain range. So you're looking over the Serengeti and you just see this curvature of the earth. And at night, millions of stars in the sky. It's just amazing. And then you get to the summit and this glacier is there is this snow that fell 10,000 years ago. But that, that glacier will be gone in another less than 10 years, I would say. And, and, and as I say, that snow, that, that the glacier is over 10,000 years old and it's going to be gone within and 10 is years. Is that experience, and you talk about that glacier being gone, is that what uh, spurred you to start the sustainability business? Start sustainability? Yeah, yeah it, it, there, there's so many reasons why. Well, I'll tell you the story behind it. Uh, in, in March 2020, when we went into lockdown for the first time and we were all just coming to terms with it really and it was all the bad news coming from China and from Italy and starting to understand it was an airborne problem and it was just the whole shock of it but we were all working from home Uh, if you remember the weather in March, April and May in 2020 was fantastic so we were all getting out walking and cycling and less cars on the road and getting close to nature. And I suppose also the awareness that uh, mankind is fragile and that kind of awareness was coming in, in, into my head. And at the same time, when we were out of the office, I took the opportunity to change the heating system from a gas fossil fuel system to a much more efficient heat pump. We changed LEDs, all the lighting to LEDs. And we put solar panels on the roof and put in an EV, two EV chargers in the office. And all of this was going around in my head. And, you know, that we need we need to look at what we're doing and be more sustainable. 
And I talked to a few colleagues and friends. And in March 2021, we decided we needed to do something. And we set up a, a sustainability movement called Techies Go Green. And it's a not-for-profit organisation focused on helping businesses to become more sustainable. So that has been going from strength to strength since then, over the two years and a bit since then. We asked businesses to sign up as members, as signatories, as we call them. And today we have over 400 businesses from mainly based in the UK, UK and Ireland that have signed up as signatories. We've been, uh, our goal is to get to two and a half thousand businesses by 2025. Uh, and our goals for techies is, first of all, to build the awareness for the need for every business to be sustainable and start uh, acting more sustainable. And that has been a huge effort, uh, educational. Like one thing I've noticed from data solutions, when I would talk to a customer about a new technology, their eyes might glaze over a little and say, oh, here's another product I have to look at. But actually, when you go out and you talk to a business about sustainability, they're sitting up and saying, oh, yeah, this is really good. Yeah, we we really need to do something here. So you are pushing an open door, but it's getting them. And this is the second goal is to get them to take action. And like time is running out. We've got to move from saying, yeah, I, I do that next month or yeah, I'll get to that. We need to start taking action now because we are we're running up against time. Yeah, it's been very interesting, Paul, and we are just about to launch our sustainability charter, which I think the biggest challenge for a lot of businesses is particularly the smaller, the SMB businesses, the big corporates, they can put a team in place to, to look after that and be, get skilled up. But for a regular SMB business, it's going to have to be someone's job. And it's such a difficult area. Like we, when you start to research sustainability, as I did three years mm. ago, hit with a wall of information. What's your scope one, scope two, scope three, carbon neutral, carbon zero, carbon negative, the UN SDGs, uh, all of that, the Paris Agreement. It's like, it's, it just puts you off. What we're doing with our charter, our sustainability charter, which we'll be launching next month, is giving a roadmap for all businesses to be responsible and to be sustainable. And it just takes away all those kind of rocks that make it hard for the business to, be, to become sustainable. And as I say, it gives them that roadmap to, and a guide on the actions that a business can take become ultimately net zero. What are the actions a business can take that are not so obvious to most people? The very first action is to measure your carbon footprint in your business. Because once, once you measure your footprint, you can see where you're burning carbon within your business and then you can start to put a plan together to reduce it. So, you know, when you've measured your footprint, you can see business can see oh, I didn't realise that my employee commute created that much emissions. Maybe we should work from home one day, two days, three days a week. And another one is like your business travel. And, you know, that's a huge cause of emissions. And no more than we're talking here on a conference call, the, one, one of the benefits of, the, of COVID has been 
the growth in uh, in Zoom and team call, Teams calls. And whereas in the past, pre-COVID, I would be over into the UK twice a month at least. Now I'm I'm doing much more Teams meetings. And the guys on the other end are happy to do the team's meetings as well. It's now a case that they're feeling you're not bothered to come over to see me. And that has cut down significantly on our business travel. So, yeah, there's two examples. But I think the biggest thing, like they say 73%, nearly three quarters of all emissions is from energy. And if we can move away and ultimately move to electrification of as many of our activities as possible and then use renewable energy then to generate the electricity, that will have a massive impact. Yeah. I wonder, because you said it's in my understanding is a lot of it is warming, cooling and moving. Yeah. Anything Yeah, is the big bulk of it. And warming... Even if it's electricity, it's a lot of it is still fossil fuels. And I know the EU that classify gases less harmful, yeah, less emissions. Yes, harmful, yeah. but it's still fossil fuel. Yeah, where? I, I, yeah, I think this is where I struggle with it. Is and this was I think last year at some festival. It might have been Glastonbury, where they had charging points for cars, and behind the wall of the charging point, they had a generator. Right, diesel generator. And so where do we disconnect completely or in a big part from fossil fuels? Because even electricity at the moment is not disconnected from fossil fuels. No. At what point, what has to happen so that it's truly sustainable? Like it's 90% wind power or solar. Yeah, yeah, we really need to drive up the renewables element of our energy as the same move to as much to electrification as possible the electric cars i think this year electric so far i think we sold more electric cars than we have diesel cars mm-hmm. and that did uh, without that there is a move to that and you only have to if you listen to any ad or watch any ads on television it's all the electric vehicles we are all being sold on the idea of electric cars and that is a good thing ultimately and but I saw recently, I think might have been 2021, the, uh, the EPA's, I think it was, said something like 55, 56 percent of the electricity used in Ireland was from renewables. Most of that is, is wind energy and, and then solar. And we, need, we just need to get that. We need to get that up to 100 percent. And as I say, then move everything over. If you're an electric car is the way forward, but if you're uh, charging that off the grid, how much of the grid is brown electricity? Or if you have solar panels at home, that's great. You can charge it off that. And, and so that make that 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 reduces your emissions. That will reduce your emissions. But until we're we're a hundred percent green on on the grid, yeah. there will still be uh, emissions. I want to go back a little bit. And this is more of a personal question for yeah. me is because you mentioned Kilimanjaro and that's one of those things that the back of my mind must be the coolest thing in the world to do. It's a real bucket list thing. Uh, how much training? So it's a two part question. How much training went into it? And secondly, what did you learn about yourself in the process? 
yeah, I wouldn't have done that much trekking beforehand, uh, before Kilimanjaro, and uh, I certainly have got into it since then. And I'd be a regular gym goer, generally fit, but you need to get your legs right as well. And uh, so I would have done a lot in, in uh, if every weekend in the Wicklow Mountains, generally, and building that up. Um, and to be honest, it, uh, with your general fitness and the guides in Kilimanjaro are very good to keep an eye on you. You are g- going into altitude now, so altitude sickness can be an issue. So they're constantly m- watching you and you go as fast as the slowest person. Uh, so, you know, that slowly gets you up the mountain. And uh, all of us in the group got up to the top of the mountain, which was great. The, what did I learn? I suppose it, it did start me on the road down to sustainability. Uh, like I was just shocked at the fact that the glacier was going to disappear. And you can see that if you look at photos of this, the peak 20 years ago and look at the same photos today. It's vastly different and it's shocking that we are losing that. And, and the, that's, this is a huge issue across the globe. Uh, in Middle Asia, where uh, a lot of the countries, the likes of Nepal and countries around there, they'd be 100% renewable energy based on uh, hydroelectricity. In fact, they sell excess energy to the likes of India and other countries. But those glaciers are melting. And uh, I know they have been looking at building other hydroelectric plants, but based on the cost of building them as against the length of time they will be in use 20, 30 years, the benefit isn't there. They won't have the water supply from the glaciers to justify building any more hydro. And the current ones are going to release. They're built, thankfully, but they're going to they're going to struggle in 20, 30 years time. And that's a huge issue. That's a huge issue for that part of the world. I can imagine. I can imagine. Tell me, Michael, in what you're doing currently, what's giving you the greatest sense of satisfaction? In, in techies, it, I'm really engaged around the charter. It's going to be the focus of, of techies for the next two years. Um, being, like, we're their support businesses and we, we really feel that the charter is going to really help every business, particularly the smaller businesses that, as I say, haven't got the resources to, to go and invest in, and put the plans together themselves. So that that's really excite me excites me. In data solutions, we've been growing exponentially for the last number of years, and it's great to be involved in a business that's growing and has been successful. And uh, we have a great team in data solutions. For us, our IP is is the team. It's the service that we give. We're very professional. We're very knowledgeable on 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 the products that we sell. And we are able to turn around any requests within, typically within an hour, and it's accurate and it's reliable. And I think people are all very busy these days. We're all doing four, five, six different jobs, and it's very difficult to be 
an expert in all those areas. Mm. So we rely on, on, on people that give a good service. And that's what our customers do. They're very busy looking after their end customers and they need someone, a supplier that they can trust, that will give them a good service and that's reliable. And that's what makes us sticky. And, and that's why we've been successful because we've been able to, to, to provide that service. And what I would say, uh, having traded in Ireland for 25 years, growing relatively successfully, I would yeah. encourage any company that has a good product or a good service not to be afraid to go into a new market. We, you'd have thought we'd no one really to compare ourselves against in the Irish market and we thought we were just okay. But when we went into the UK, we found that we were best of breed and there's great opportunities. Like the UK is a huge market. Yeah. It's the sixth biggest economy in the world. It consumes 8% of the global IT and it's been great for us. I'm going to go to the, the question wheel. I don't know if I told you about the question wheel, but I've got 24 random questions here. No, getting to know these questions. And I'm going to start and it's random, so it'll pick one. I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is, but... Go for it. <laughs> now, they're, they're, don't worry. They're relatively safe. I bought these in London in a little packet. So basically, if you have guests for around for dinner and they don't know each other, you give them a little these little tents and they ask Very a good. question of their neighbours. So it's, there's no gotchas in there, but they're quite interesting. So I'm just going to start it off and see what it gives us. Here we go. Here we go. What do other people tend not to understand about you? Oh, Jamie. I know, it's a, that's a weird one. Not to understand. That is a really difficult one to, to figure out what to don't understand. I was going to say my accent, but... Uh, no, uh, you're pretty clear. Uh, <laughs> and you don't have you don't have a very strong Longford accent. No, it's Longford is in the middle. It's not like yeah. at the extremities. It's a bit flat, uh, yeah. the Longford accent, but... I've been more years in Dublin now yeah. than in Longford, yeah. so it's... At the risk of insulting every Longford person, you're very well... I'll try that again. You're very well spoken. Uh, yeah, no, no. Thank you. Uh, so, I don't know if they, they don't understand... Will we spin it again? Yeah, spin it again, yeah. We'll spin it again. We'll spin it again. That's a weird one. Mm. Let's have a look. What do you imagine a colleague might find difficult about you? Ooh. They're not all negative, I promise. Yeah. Just... <laughs> I suppose I'd like to think that I can see both sides. I'm empathetic, but if I believe in something, I strongly believe in it. So I can be yeah. a little bit difficult in looking to get my my, my view across. Yeah. Do you yeah. change your mind easily? I do listen to others and I do look for what do you think of this? And I do look mm. for the feedback and I challenge myself to take it on board. And more often than not, then I will. And I think that's, that's the beauty of the team. It's not a dictatorship. It is a team. We have a management team of six in the company and we all get on pretty well. We actually, earlier this year, we did our, the average length of time employees in, are in the company is 9.3 years or 9.5 years, which is quite a long time. And yeah. when we get good staff, we try and hold on to them and meet yeah. their needs. And yeah. people want to work in companies where they're respected, uh, their yeah. opinion is taken on board, and that, that's listening to them. And, and we generally do that. That's something to be proud of, Michael. Let me ask you this then. What are you most proud of? What am I most 
proud of. Oh, it has to be my family. Uh, I'm married. I've three kids. They're, they're all. My daughter turned 21 there last month and uh, she's in college and but she's off now at the moment but I actually enjoy them as adults to go out for something to eat or watch a match they, you can have a great time with them now yeah it's interesting that transition with kids from yeah from being kids teenagers then to adults and managing that little rope you give them more and more rope to a point where they're free and they're adults and now you're they're your friends. Yeah. You're still their father but you're but they're friends. Yeah. I, I find that and it's a wonderful place to be with your kids. I don't oh, think yeah. you can ask for anything more. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it is. It's great. And it's my eldest son's birthday next month and we're looking at going off fishing for the day. I'm not a fisher, a fisherman I don't fish, mm. but it's just the experience and the crack together. So it's those moments, Paul, that are they're gold dust. Yeah, yeah. What do you like to do to wind down? Or unwind, I should say. So, I, I'm a regular gym goer. I go in the morning. That's the hardest part of the day done. Thing, and it calms you down for the rest of the day. I then I go for a walk I, I, in the evening, usually. And that's unwind your thoughts and mm. uh, for the day. Mm. Uh, and then spending time with the family, mainly. We, uh, cycling. Are you big then on routine? Um, I routine. I think routine is important. When you you have to have a routine, particularly if you're busy. You're if you're if you're trying to manage a business and manage people and a lot of balls in the air, you need that that routine, the rigidity of a routine to keep on top of it, or else you just you it can go out of control. Yeah, I do. But then when I'm off, I just love. Not having that routine and not having uh, anything to be rushing to or meetings yeah. to attend and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, if I were a young buck, 20 years of age, just joining Data Solutions, you were, and we were at your retirement party, and I came to you and I said, Michael, you have built this business, wonderful reputation. Give me your top three pieces of advice that I can employ so that one day I can be successful too. What would they be? Work ethic. You've got to have a good work ethic is more important than having the intelligence, if you like. That might be the right word. But work hard. Don't be afraid to put in the hours and put in the effort. And generally speaking, That'll, that'll pay dividends. It might take a while, it might take years if you do the right work. Obviously, try and pick your area. Pick, try and, They say work in an area that you love. That's a tough one. Mm. You, you, I know my kids starting out in a career, trying to find a job today even is not easy. You're not necessarily going to find a job, that an area that you love. But uh, whatever area you're in, be the best you can in, be an expert. And uh, when you are an expert, people will come to you. Even if you're not necessarily a very nice person, but you're an expert, they, you'll, do, you'll do well. And uh, what I would also say is treat everyone with respect. Even if someone that you might think, I don't, I'm not going to be working with him. 
you never know what's coming down the track in 12 months time he might be in a position where you need his help or you want to he's your customer treat everyone with respect and again that'll generally work in your favor i don't know many is that the two or three <laughs> i don't know that's good it's what i'm hearing from that is as you said you're talking about respect and work ethic yeah and, and i think there's a line with the work ethic as well and i wonder sometimes because you can be a workaholic and that's not good you can we're told to work smarter but that's often interpreted as and you often see people ads online which is do this and make money in your sleep in other words they're yeah. appealing to the idea of that yeah. you can just put your feet up and it, I just don't think it works like that and yeah. I think also as, what struck me when you said is that when I go away I like to unwind and there's huge pleasure in that but you can't get to the pleasure without the pain unless it's like when you get to the top of the mountain, you've put in a ton of work to get there. And it's only in that. Like if you were helicoptered into the top of Kilimanjaro, hmm. it wouldn't be the same, no. same pleasure. And it wouldn't be meaningful. Yeah. And it wouldn't give you a sense of accomplishment or achievement or yeah. anything else that's important to us as humans. Yeah. I think that's often missing. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was, have you ever read the book, The Fine Art of Not Giving a Fuck? No. Great, you won't forget the title. Yeah. It's a great title. And uh, I can't remember the name, Manson or something like that is the guy's right. name. But I remember reading it and I took one key lesson out of it, or takeaway, was that he said, no matter what you have in life, everything brings you problems. So if you win the lotto in the morning, yeah. you think it's going to fix problems, but it actually just brings a whole ton more problems. Yeah, exactly. And what he said was, don't wish for no problems. Don't be working for a life without problems challenges ask for better problems and i really like that i thought that's a great philosophy yeah. for life better problems please yeah uh, and uh, on the on that point as well yeah just bringing the whole sustainability back in there's no point in us all working as hard as possible to maximize our profits and our salaries if we end up in, in a, on a planet that we can't live in we've got to balance that as well and we've got to work in a more sustainable manner yeah Tell me, if you were retiring in the morning and you couldn't do consulting work or you had to leave the work of work, professional work, behind, what would you do with your time? I think I'd work in sustainability. It's, it, I mentioned getting a job that, that you love and how difficult it is. Like I, I totally enjoy working in data solutions, but I think I really work in, in the area of sustainability. And uh, that's... That, that's uh, it's not work in in yeah. in that sense so i i definitely see myself uh, being involved in that and what it what's the nature of that work is it being an evangelist or is it more practical than that i'm not an expert i'm an accountant and a businessman at the end of the day so i'm not an expert or a scientist or anything like that but well, I think that we, so we've grown to a size with 400 members and we're going to continue to grow and grow. And so what we've developed and what we're developing with the charter is that roadmap for businesses to help business to become sustainable. And there's nothing like it out there. There's, there, there, this assistance is not out there. There are charters out there, but nothing that will offer the in-depth analysis and the actions that you can take and the assistance 
And not alone that, we have built up and are building up a, a partner network. And when we say partner, these are businesses that provide sustainability products and services. So we've 90 of these businesses signed up already and we want to grow that. And so where if you and your business wanted to become more sustainable and wanted to understand how to do it and you sign up to the charter, the different elements, and how am I going to do that, that pledge? And then you can delve in deeper and see the actions that you could take to, to achieve it. Mm. And you can go even deeper there. We're building up a knowledge hub, which explains in more detail what's involved and also access to the relevant consultants and businesses that can help you achieve that goal. And as I say, there's nothing else out there that, that offers that depth of service. I think this is a sort of a commercial type. Uh, I was, uh, we're not charging for this. Uh, uh, the way we will have a charging system, but it's not. Uh, we're not for profit. But it, yeah. it's more to my strength, which is around the commercial side of it, rather than in depth going in on the science side. Um, yeah. Okay. okay. If you're a minister for education and you could make any subject mandatory on the secondary system, what would it be, and why? When I was when the kids our kids were young, I used to say I'd make gymnastics mandatory for every kid. Uh, it's fantastic grounding for every child from balance and their strength, core strength development. Uh, you know, look, it, it has to be sustainability. At the end of the day. We have to change the culture of which we have grown, all grown up and operated in. As Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And if we can change people's mindsets by education and awareness, then that they will change their behavior. That, that's definitely one I'd be pushing today. You said change their change the culture, change their mindset around what specifically? Just about everything, how we consume and how we 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 buy fashion and, and dispose of it, and just understanding there there is a different way. And obviously, for businesses, like ultimately, we as individuals buy and consume everything that businesses produce and sell. And uh, you can argue that business is responsible for the majority of the of the emissions in the world and uh, so it, it, for us if we can help and it's our goal to be helping every business we can to be more sustainable it makes it easier for all of us as individuals yeah. to reduce our carbon footprint yeah okay i'm conscious michael about time so yeah. i'll ask you three very quick questions to finish this out First one, desert island. You're about to be marooned on a desert island. You can bring any one thing with you. It cannot be a person or an animal. What would it be? You don't know whether you're ever going to be rescued or not. A person, they can't bring a person. Okay. I bring a bicycle. Okay. I forgot to tell you, it's a very small island. <laughs> money well, it's one of these stationary bikes. <laughs> That's true, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, yeah, you get stuck in the sand, you could have great fun with it. Second question, your house is burning down, your family, pets are all safe, your computer and phone are safe, and you have time to run back in and grab one thing, what would it be? 
I'm looking around my, my, my office room here. I straight away I can't think of anything and I I try not to be too material. I try not to get too attached to material things. Uh, little uh, stuff that down through the years, mementos, but... Uh, so sentimental se stuff. Sentimental, but not, uh, I try not to get too attached. So yeah. uh, maybe I might bring that bicycle with me, that, I, that uh, <laughs> sort of thing. You love your bike? <laughs> not as much as you might think, but yeah. Okay. All right. And final question, Michael. When your time on this planet is done, and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? Oh, jeez, where do you get these questions from? Oh, God, I don't know what to say here now. Here's another way of asking the question. How would you like to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered as, a, number one, as a good family guy, reared a, a good family and a happy family. Number two, a good businessman in the sense that ran a successful business with a good team of employees mm. who were happy. And success isn't always about, it isn't about profits. That, that, that maximizing profit one is all hat. It's about stakeholders and uh, looking after your employees, your suppliers, the community in which you work in uh, uh, and the environment. So mm. uh, I'd like to remember it for mm. all of those aspects. Mm. So I have your book title now, Family Man, Team Player. Good man. Just need someone to write it. There you go. You have ChatGPT now to do it. You can just have it ask you questions and formulate everything. I, I actually meant to ask you that. If you, if you, do you have just two minutes to ask yeah. one final question? I might throw it back in, yeah. into the pot because I, I often ask people about AI and I'm just curious to know, tell me a little bit about the role AI is playing in your world right now. Like for us as a, an IT distributor, we were always looking for new technologies to take on and to sell. But AI is not a, it's not say IT security or it's not infrastructure that you can put into a box and say we sell it. It's everything. It's all over. It's every industry. It's everything. And I do think it's definitely here to stay. There is absolutely value in it for all of us in just as I want to find out something about Kilkenny. Mm. Tell me where's like Google is getting a little bit better like that, but AI is much better. So we're all going to use it in our lives. I do think it'll have impact on particular jobs, jobs where knowledge is a key aspect. So that level of intelligence to understand and tax law, legal or the legal areas where that can now be all pulled out of, out of a database like that. So those sort of positions are going to be under pressure because why do I need to hire someone when AI can do it for me? I think we're still a bit away from that yet, from a f yeah. fully reliable system. We are, I think, and you said your daughter was in final year in college. No, she's she done two years. She's done two years. Yeah, yeah. my daughter has, is going into her final year now. And I was only thinking today that I need to have that chat with her, make sure that she's thinking about mm. whatever career she's going to. She's doing sociology, so that's not a career. And it's, well, it could be, but for the most that's, part, that's it's not. When everyone should do that. Yeah, no, for sure. So it's a great education, great mm. grounding. But in terms of career, she now needs to be really thinking. We didn't have those considerations. She needs to be thinking about where she's going to be, that it's that that she's not vulnerable yeah. to 
changes. And that's something we haven't had to cope with before. Yeah, no, look, look my son, he's just finishing his master's and he said, like he was saying, he'd be interested in getting into a research role. And I was saying, you got to be careful there now because AI will we, we, eat your lunch there. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, Absolutely. there's... You can't compete with it. It's, yeah. it's like trying to play AI with chess. No mm. matter how good you are, you will not beat it. Mm. And therefore, if I want to employ a chess player, I'm going to use the machine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting one. Uh, interesting times ahead. Yeah. Michael O'Hara, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. It's yeah, been an yeah. absolute pleasure. And great talking to you too, Paul. Thank you very much.